Here we are. Uh, I want to ask a simple question because I don't want to lose any clarity tonight as we move forward. I don't get tricky and get all gimmicky tonight. I'm just going to ask the simple question that we've been asking over the last couple weeks. Why does Renovation Church exist? I want us to keep that question in the forefront of our minds. This is the question that we've been asking in this short series, a three-week series that's concluding tonight. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we're going to be asking that question often because we're good at forgetting things. And so we need to keep uh, the answer to that question uh, in the forefront of our minds. And so hopefully we continue to reinforce our main purposes as a church tonight. Our first reason for existence is our primary one. A couple weeks ago, Jeremy talked about the fact that Renovation Church exists for what? The glory of God. We exist to glorify God. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. And then last week we talked about the first way in which God is glorified in the midst of His people. We talked about the, the fact that the church exists, the leadership and the ministry of the church exists to equip Christ's people to live a faithful life of worship, right? That is, in our response, in, our, in receiving the mercy of God for salvation, God is glorified in us as we continue to grow in relationship to Him, right? That the substance of our lives is being transformed into conformity to who he is. So really the gospel confronts us and calls us and summons us to change and to become more like Jesus. So we see the glory of God is put on display in the very fabric of our lives as followers of Jesus. And tonight we're concluding our series to see the second way we bring glory to God and how it relates to our new identity, as we've already talked about, and, and how it relates to the fact that every man, woman, and child has an opportunity to hear the gospel in our community. So let's look together. We're going to leave the book of Romans. We're going to go to, I know you were one of the OCD types. You're like, man, we could have just stayed right there in Romans. It would have been. We're not going to stay there. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 9 through 12. Follow along with me, if you will. Notes should be posted up at the top here uh, behind me. And if you have the scriptures, it would be great uh, for you to own it. First of all, another thing that needs to be said, if you don't have the scriptures, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to put one in your hands. We don't say this enough. We, you know, our heart is that people would be engaging the scriptures not only here, but in, in every day of their lives. We believe it's a truth, God's revealed will. So if you need a scripture, you know somebody in your life that needs, could use a, a copy of the scriptures, the Holy Bible, we'd love to put it in your hands. So, Using those, let's follow along in 1 Peter 2, uh, 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your souls. 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen. From Liverpool originally. Spend much of my time there due to the fabulous meat at Maisie's Meats. That's my dad. Had a sandwich there today, just saying. Excellent. If you're on Facebook, you would have noticed that. Anyway, I drive from my house, which is on the east side of the city. Long story. Won't go into that. But I drive from the east side, past the mall, to Liverpool a lot. And because I go home, I drive from Liverpool back, past the mall, back to the east side. And it's always crazy to me some of the things that I see in my journey. The other day I was traveling to Liverpool from my house on the east side, and uh, I saw something that well, looks pretty odd, because you're not accustomed to seeing it. I saw uh, on my way there a truck, you know, like a semi, commercial vehicle, with half of its back rig shaved off. And I thought, well, isn't that an odd sight? How could that happen? And sure enough, about 100 feet later is a very large iron railroad bridge. Does anybody know the bridge I'm talking about on Onondaga Lake Parkway? <laughs> right? And I, I look at that situation and I say to myself, how can this possibly be? Because driving from the mall to this bridge, I could not have seen more signs about 10 feet 9 inches no commercial vehicles. I think they've hired 15 employees to stand out there with flashing lights. That's an exaggeration. But it's almost to that point. How could you possibly miss the bridge with all the signs? How could you possibly? It's written on the road. they got flashing lights. No commercial vehicles from the mall. You're talking miles. And okay, you think to yourself, well, the guy was coming from the other direction. But let's be clear. If you're in the village of Liverpool driving past Hydes, guess what begins to happen? You are bombarded with signs that say, Stop! 10 feet 9 inches. Right? Don't go here. Go Old Liverpool Road. Am I exaggerating? Maybe a little. Or is it so obvious that if you are, not a, if you are any bigger than a pickup truck, it's time to go Old Liverpool Road? Obvious things are often overlooked, right? Just are. Human nature, got something on our mind, not paying attention. Obvious things are often overlooked. And sadly enough, when we look over uh, some obvious things, the results are devastating. And I don't need to get into some of the stories about what happened to folks that, that got into one of those scenarios. There's been some very devastating things that have taken place. Friends, before we begin to talk about mission tonight, I'm just going to put it out there to be obvious. We're going to be talking about our purpose and, as being on mission tonight. We're going to be talking about that. But please, the results would be devastating if we begin to talk about mission without looking at the most obvious of things in this passage. Okay? So what do we see here? Before anything is said about what we're to do, is anything to say about our purpose, we see so much rich, robust language about our identity. 
And it would be easy for us to overlook that, to stress what we want to stress tonight. And believe you me, I want to stress that. I believe the passage does stress that. But may we not overlook the obvious markers, statements, that undergird our identity as the people of God. Okay? Look at this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Rich statements about who these people are, their identity. It doesn't tell them about anything they're to do. It just tells them who they be, who they are. And what it's saying here as well is that we recognize, well, even look at verse 14, we see the word beloved, another term that undergirds and explains who we are. Uh, moving on from there, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, more statements about our identity. I believe there's seven words that give foundation to who we are as the people of God. And friends, let's be clear, and if we go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, which Paul read as a call to worship, we see that this new identity is not something that we have obtained on our own. This new identity is an identity that has been given to us, made for us by God as we have embraced Him by faith in Jesus Christ. So let's be clear, this is not talking to everyone. There's specific people that Paul, oh no, I'm sorry, Peter, so used to saying Paul, Peter is talking to about their new identity. And it is the people that, that God has made for Himself. God has done it. For the people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, right? He, when he says you, who's he talking to? But you are a chosen race. Who's he talking to you? Verse 7, the honor is for you who believe. And he's talking about what happens for those who do not believe. And it's tragically different. So we're talking about those who have heard the gospel, who've heard about Jesus, and who have embraced Jesus for all that he is, and have said, yeah, I believe in that. I rely fully upon Jesus. And now because of that reliance, God has now made them who they are. God has made us who we are in Jesus Christ. And that's such good news for us because, again, we've talked about this before, I believe that, that our identity is shaped by so many different things that are not the gospel. And tonight we're reminded of something that is staring at us in the face that we can so often overlook who God has made us to be. And we can't talk about mission if we don't talk about identity. We can't do it. There's no point in talking about every man, woman, and child and preaching the gospel if we're not talking about every man, woman, and child that has been changed by the gospel. So we got to talk about identity. The results would be devastating if we did not. It's almost like what Jesus said to his disciples, right? Look, at, you're going to be clothed with power on high, but stay, wait. We looked at this in the book of Acts, right? Don't do anything. Don't go anywhere until the Spirit comes. You've got to be shaped by me. You've got to be filled with me. The results would be devastating if you started to engage in mission without the empowerment of God the Holy Spirit. Chosen race. The people who believe. Not just Israel, right? 
That, that, that phrase comes from Isaiah 43, rooted hundreds of years earlier in God's promises to his people about their destiny. Again, Israel. But it's not just a national race anymore, is it? It's the church. Every man, woman, and child that believes and belongs to Jesus, guess what? They are the chosen race. They are the ones that God has picked for himself. Right? Isaiah 43, 20 through 21. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That language comes from Exodus 19. Right? Where, 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 where God descends on Sinai and he speaks to Moses. And Moses reveals to the people who, they, who God is making them to be. Same language. Royal priesthood. A holy nation set apart. A people for his own possession. Right? Beloved, the dearly loved children of God. That's so hard for us to hear often. You know, I've said before that I've been talking to people and saying some of the most simple statements that we take for granted. Looking across the table at a grown man and just simply saying, I want you to know that God loves you. And to watch a grown man who's got very large biceps say, just begin to weep. And again, I begin to think, maybe we need to hear that tonight. Maybe there's someone in the room here tonight that needs to hear about the truth, about how God feels about them as they are in relationship and trusting in Jesus. He loves you. Can you hear that tonight? God loves you. You are dearly loved by the living God. Don't let anyone tell you different. You may not be loved by anyone else in this world. You may be forgotten, left to the kick to the curb by everybody else, but the truth of the matter is that God loves you. You've got to hear that. You are, in Jesus Christ, a dearly loved child of God. Beloved. And again, I'm speaking to individuals and understand, I believe God's speaking to the collective church, right? We share that together. So don't just hear it in, as a, as in an individualistic mindset. Hear that as you're looking at each other and trying to figure out how do I begin to treat them? We'll begin to treat them based on who they are. Not necessarily based on their performance. Look around at one another and begin to say, these people are the dearly loved of God. And so when I begin to relate to them, I begin to think to myself, wait, if God loves them, can I? Can I love those whom God loves? I think I could do that. This is who we are. Sojourners and exiles, right? We're not defined by this temporal place. We're not. Right? We're, we're passing through. Our destiny is not rooted here, we love Syracuse. Some of us don't like Syracuse. But we love our roots. We love this soil. But we are not in any way, shape, or form ultimately defined by being from central New York. We are not defined by 2014. We are defined by another place, another home. And we are passing through and waiting and anticipating the day where we will arrive home in God, in the city of God. That's who we are. Sojourners and exiles Passing through. That's our identity. Again, for those who believe and belong to Jesus. So if you're here tonight and you don't believe in Jesus Christ, if you've not embraced Him as Lord, received Him as Savior, and you long to know Him and have a new identity in Him, be united to Him in His death and resurrection, just cry out to Him tonight. Surrender yourself to Him. Receive 
mercy and grace for salvation. Enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and know without a shadow of a doubt, no matter what culture says, no matter what finger pointing is in your life, no matter what things have been said to you by a parent or a friend or a co-worker about your identity, they're all wrong. Your identity will now be shaped by the mercy of God. And that's what we see, right? Why would God do that? Why would God root our identity in a covenant, a promise, not based on our merit, but on His promise, right? Why would He root our identity that is rich in love and high in hope? Why would He do that? Because of who He is. Right? He's merciful. He's merciful. Right? Look at, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God has made us who we are by His mercy. Right? Titus chapter 3, 4, and 5. He saved us, not on the basis of our deeds done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. He's a merciful God. That's who He is. And that's the very reason and foundation for why He has made us who He is. And His mercy is fully revealed in Jesus. You say, where is the mercy of God? Look to Jesus and His death for you. That is the mercy of God. Right? God has made us who we are by His mercy. That's our identity. That's the foundation. And we cannot overlook that. So much more could have and should have been said about those things. But we move on. I say it again. Obvious things are often overlooked. Identity that shapes mission is often overlooked. But yet, mission that flows out of identity is just as equally overlooked, isn't it? For some reason, no matter how many times we read the final statements of Jesus in the Gospels, no matter how many times we read the opening chapters in the book of Acts, no matter how many times the lights flash at us in the face, don't go there. Don't miss this. You're about to be in big trouble, pal, if you miss this. The Scriptures are so clear about what God intends to do through us based on what God has done in us. So clear. Right? Matthew. Right? Go and make disciples. Teaching them. All, that's what disciples do. Disciples make disciples. Right? End of Mark. Preach the gospel to all of creation. End of Luke. You're my witnesses. End of John. As the Father has sent me, so have I sent you. Beginning of the book of Acts. Right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses from here to the ends of the earth. No matter how many times the lights flash, we fall short here. We miss something. And the results are devastating as well. A little different, but the results are devastating. Look at what he says. This is who you are. Why? Verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's why God is, 
That's the purpose, right? God has a purpose in making you who you are by His mercy. He does this that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Bottom line, our identity breeds our instrumentality. Write that down. They're connected. You can't have one without the other. Right? Our identity breeds our instrumentality. God has made us who we are by His mercy for His mission. The instrumentality of the local church. Ed Stetzer says he has chosen, being God, the church as his instrument in this world. Do you know that? Do you know that? We, the body of Christ, are God's chosen method to deliver the message of transformation to our neighbors, both in the community and around the world. It is our mission. Identity breeds instrumentality. The church is God's chosen instrument to reach the world. Not a new idea. Not unclear in the scriptures. Yet often overlooked. Right? We think that the way God is going to reach the world is through spiritual superheroes. Right? Everybody loves Billy. Raise your hand if you love Billy Graham. Big fan. Big fan of Billy. You know, we could go, you want to mess with Billy. You know, like, you don't mess with Billy, right? Everyone's uncomfortable now. Sorry. But as awesome and wonderful of, of a ministry that, that, by God's grace, Billy Graham has had, that, that, the fruit of that has been for them to come to Christ, they've got to see Billy. Got to see Billy, right? Or let's come up with anybody else for that matter. If we could just get them to hear Pastor so-and-so, if we could just get them to come to this event to hear this particular message from that particular person. There are spiritual superheroes or what we've effective events that we think will be the thing that will reach people. But the bottom line is this, that God has determined his instrument and it's his people. Not just one of them, all of them. It's going to take every man, woman, and child to reach every man, woman, and child. Right? It, you're not no one, we say this a lot, no one in the family of God, in the church of God, is indispensable to the mission. We need every man, woman, and child. Right? We don't look at people from a fleshly point of view. Oh, God can't use that person. Right? 2 Corinthians 5, we don't look at people from, we look at it from what God is doing. We are ambassadors for Christ. We say be reconciled to God. Not just a couple of us, all of us. Who believe and belong to Jesus. Not just pastors and priests, right? Spiritual superheroes, but every man, woman, and child that believes and belongs to Jesus belongs to and is incorporated into the instrument, the church. Nobody's dogging the parachurch, right? That's not what I'm saying tonight. But God has chosen the church to reach the world. One thing that you may hear us say often is, whatever God is going to do in the world, He is primarily going to do through all of Christ's people. That's Dwight Smith. Very much a, a father to the thinking and the, and, the, and the understanding of mission for Missio Church and Shirley Renovation Church. Whatever God is going to do in the world, He's primarily going to do through all of Christ's people. That's what we see here. 
We're going to be proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I think when we read that, we see one of the main ways that God uses us. We're instruments of God as he uses our words. Right? Don't miss that. As we begin to talk about presenting the gospel to every man, woman, and child, giving them a, a, a repeated opportunity to hear and respond to that gospel without them having to come or go anywhere, as we talk about that, the, the completion of our mission statement, we have to understand that one of the primary ways that God uses His people is through their speech. What we say. There's a content to the gospel that must be proclaimed. God will use our words. Proclaiming the excellencies. Telling the world what God has done in Jesus Christ is of critical importance for us. We at Renovation Church need to just say, Wow! My mouth of all, of all mouths is going to be used for the glory of God, for the saving of people? Absolutely. True mission is not embraced unless it has a verbal, proclaiming, heralding component to it. We are the messengers of God. People don't know. Write that down. You assume they've heard. Friends, write it down. People have not heard. Maybe there was a day where culture heard this, the gospel. But I'm hearing more and more people tell me when they hear it, I've never heard that before. You say, oh, they, they're not receptive to the gospel. If I talk to them about the gospel, they're not receptive to it. We say that all the time. So i got to be careful. Friends, you don't know if they're receptive. You don't even know if they've ever heard it. They may have seen forms of religious this and religious that or heard a piece of the gospel here or a piece of the gospel there. But I'm telling you, in increasing fashion, in the suburbs, in the cities, wherever you go in America, the gospel has not been heard. So don't think they're not receptive if you don't even know if they've heard it. We are the messengers of God. God's going to use our words. And what are we going to say? We're going to proclaim the excellencies of Him who's called us out of darkness into His light. Simply put, we're going to tell the world what God has done in Jesus Christ. How excellent it is. How it has changed us. How we used to be this, and now because of what God has done in Jesus Christ, this is now what He is doing and where, where He is, is changing me. Right? It's the story. It's not just about our life. I used to be this and now I'm that. It's a story that is shaped by the story. The grace story. How from Genesis to Revelation, God planned, secured, and now is applying and then going to consummate, end our salvation. Tell the whole story. People have not heard that. You need to preach. Well, you may have heard somebody say this before, and they always quote, uh, attribute it to St. Francis, right? Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary, right? Please take an X over that quote. First of all, we don't have any idea who said that. Francis of Assisi probably didn't say that. Okay? 
They can't find it in any of his writings. But if you look at it, it's, it's such a, a twisted understanding of our role. If you just look at it in isolation. And it's misapplied and misused. Guys, preaching the gospel will include our words. And if we have such great substantive lives that are not explained, then our evangelism is simply going to be, man, he's a nice guy. Right? You can shovel your neighbor's driveway all you want, but if they don't understand that it's because of Jesus, then the conclusion that is made is that you're a nice guy. You're glorified. Not God. So we need to Share. We need to speak. God's going to use our words and, and God's going to use our deeds. Look at what he says. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, verse 14, exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Right? You see, first, you see first that, that, that we're supposed to abstain from specific things. The passions of our flesh. What we do not do has great impact on the lives of others. Now, I understand that in many ways, the world has seen the church as simply a people that don't do certain things. That's not good. Especially if those things are not in Scripture. Right? That we've created our own little fundamentalist evangelicalism where we make a ton of rules, man-made, that have nothing to do with Scripture. And, and people are confused by that. And they look at our faces and, and they see a no face. The best way to illustrate this is how I used to go to Cafe Kubal, and every time there was one person that worked there that no matter what I was ordering, whether it be a bag of beans, a latte, or a cup of coffee at a coffee shop, every time I ordered it, he would say, no, we don't have that. Nope. And it's written all over his face, right? It was on his face. You'd walk in and you knew you weren't getting something. That guy's no longer working there. He had a no face. In many ways, our lives have been a no face. No, we don't do that. No, nope, we don't do that. No, we don't do that. Right? That's not what I think he's getting at here. When he says abstain from the passions of the flesh, he's probably talking about sexuality. Some very specific sexual sins that they were engaging, the culture was engaging in, saying, don't, don't enter into those. Don't be doing those things. But whatever the case may be, we know that the flesh is not limited to the sexual arena, is it? The flesh is always at war. That, that sin is, is crouching at the door. It's, 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 it's drawing us. It's tempting us. It's, it's, our orientation is, to, is to, uh, in our flesh to, to not obey the Lord and to walk in His ways. And although the gospel is merciful and gracious and rich, it does not mean that we can just do whatever we want. It doesn't give us a license to go on sinning, does it? Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. We've been delivered from the power of sin. You get that? The presence of sin is there. Friends, I sinned about 15 seconds ago. Like, sin is there. Right? It's always creeping at the door. There's always an impure motive. There's always something going inside. We still have the presence of sin in our lives. But the beauty of the gospel is the power of sin has been broken. 
It doesn't rule. It doesn't reign. And so we do not have to do what the flesh tells us to do. You can say no. That's what he's saying. Be different. Be different in the sense that you are now living under the grace and under the reign of that grace in relationship to Jesus, and you don't have to give in to the flesh anymore. The world can't not sin. They can't not sin. They have to because they're enslaved. Those who do not know Jesus are enslaved to sin. When sin cracks the whip, they've got to obey. But that is not the case for those who have been set free by Jesus Christ. So in order to reach every man, woman, and child, it's going to be an abstaining from specific fleshly uh, things that we do. And again, the list is long. But the reality is, is that as we not just abstain from things, but do things that are honorable among the Gentiles, the substance of our lives, our daily decisions, our marriages are different, our business dealings, our financial transactions, the substance of our lives, which we talked about last week, as they see a, a divine distinction, as Dwight Smith calls it, divine distinction. There's a difference because God is present in it. And as people interact with, man, they're not giving in to the pull and lure of the flesh. They're able to defeat that and have victory because of the resurrection of Jesus. And now their life is seen to be honorable. And their conduct is honorable. In the midst. Something has gone on there. I see something that I normally don't see in the lives of everyday people. What is that? Tell me what is changing you. Tell me what enables you to live that way. And when we, as the people of God, give our words and our lives and our deeds and also our presence, let's not miss that, right? Let's not miss the fact that it says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, right? I know what you were thinking. I know how I can do this. I can... Just withdraw completely from the world, huddle up in some Christian evangelical subculture bubble, and just stay away from everybody and everything and detach completely and huddle up and cover my ears and just trust in Jesus and I'll be good. But what he's saying is this God's going to use our presence in the culture. We're not separatists. We're not avoiding culture at all costs. We're called to be holy, abstaining from the flesh, obeying the Lord in honorable conduct. We're called to be holy and sanctified in the midst of the culture. That's where divine distinction has its impact, right? That's what Jesus prayed for. I've given them your word, he said. The world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Our identity is means that we are not of the world. That's not who we are. We're not, the substance of who we are, we are not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. Right? We're, we are holy, different, separate, in our conduct, in the substance of our lives, but we are also accessible and present within the culture. 
Right? We are pure, but we are present. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. That is really what this is all about. God is going to use our proclamation. God is going to use our lives. He's going to use our presence in their life, accessible to them, to present the gospel to every man, woman, and child that we come into contact with. God's going to reach people through His people. Do you see that? God has made us by His mercy for His mission. Identity has led to instrumentality. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And that's why we go to great lengths here at Renovation to deprogram this bad boy. We've got to deprogram. There's so many great things that we can do. But we can't do everything. Especially if we value accessibility to the world. If we ask you to come to church every night of the week, oh, how we lose accessibility. Right? We've got Sunday gatherings. We've got missional communities. Got some prayer meetings here and there. Right? Sometimes we have some membership courses. But basically, 95% of your life is lived in the midst of this world. And everything we do is to equip you to be on mission in that world because our primary program to reach Liverpool, Baldersville, and Clay is not the course at church. Our primary program is the people. Whatever God's going to do in the world, He's primarily going to do through Christ's people. You! Ha! <laughs> you! Me! I mean, come on, look at me. Look at us. God's going to use us. Believe that with all my heart. That's what the Scriptures teach. That's why God is changing us. He wants to use us. And His glory is at stake. That's what it's all about. He wants to be glorified. God has made us by His mercy for His mission. Obvious things are often overlooked. We write our mission statement on the bulletin. We write our mission statement on the website. We say it a lot. Blah, 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 blah. And that could just go blah, 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 yada, yada, yada all day long. But friends, let's not lose sight of that. Let's not forget it. Let's keep it at the forefront. Renovation Church exists to glorify God by equipping Christ's people to live faithful lives of worship as it gives every man, woman, and child an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus without coming or going anywhere. So let me ask you something. Why are you here? I mean, really. Let's be honest. Why are we here? You here for the right reason? Looking at the mission statement as a filter, think on it. Are you most passionate about the glory of God? Is that why you're here? Are you partnering with others in this room and with God the Holy Spirit to live a faithful life of worship?
Here's the hard one. Are you broken for? Every man, woman, and child that lives Liverpool, Baldwinville, Clay, Cicero, North Syracuse. Is that why you're here? Even if all of us say yes to every one of those questions, we can't manufacture any results. Right? This is the work of God. This is the work of God. Him receiving glory, it's His work. People being equipped to live a faithful life of worship. It's His work. People coming to faith in Jesus. It's His work. Through faithful, obedient people like us. But it's His work. It's through us. But it's what He does. We need Him to act. We need Him to save. Save us from our sin. Yep, still present. We still need to be saved from our sins. And to save the 90,000 people in Liverpool, Baldwinsville, Clay, North Syracuse, whatever, them from their sins. We need God. Can we pray? for a few minutes together. Embracing our purpose, but knowing that we need God to move for any of this to happen. Right? We're here. We're available. But we need Jesus, the Father and the Spirit, to move mightily in our community or we'll just be a mission statement in a Sunday night service. So why don't we pray together for the glory of God, for the equipping of Christ's people, for the salvation of souls. Let's trust God for the salvation of souls in this area. Can we cry out to Him? You know the names of the people. Can we pray for them tonight? Let's do it. When you feel led, just feel uh, uh, like you can just cry out to God right where you are. Out loud, even quiet. It's fine with me. Our God, we entrust all these things to you. I pray tonight that you would just continue all that you're doing, really. Continue to sanctify us and set us apart as your people. Lord, help us to battle with the flesh. Help us to obey by your Spirit. And help us to live in such a way that the world, in the end, glorifies God when He returns. When Christ back comes back, we long to see there are so many people, specific individuals, when Christ 
returns, we long to see them glorifying God. Lord, save, save people in our communities. Use us as your people. You can do it. You can do it, Lord. We've made ourselves available to you for this. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen.